the more ways that people can create their own little pockets of space and alone time and have a coming together and moving apart is, is essential no matter what, but especially essential now when we can't get out, when maybe one person isn't going to work as they used to, or the kids are home from school in ways that they didn't used to be. Hello and welcome, fellow human. My name is Zachary Stockhill, and you are listening to Humans in Love, a podcast that looks at culture, relationships, and personal development from unconventional perspectives. Join me as I dig into the question of how people like you and I might get more out of life and love. Thanks for being here. Hello, friend. Zachary Stockler here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Humans in Love, coming to you once again from beautiful Bali, Indonesia. And the Indonesian government a few weeks ago announced that they might try to kick some of us out. Thankfully, it looks like I'm going to find a way to stay. So there's a chance that the next episode, I'll be speaking to you from somewhere else. But I'm hoping to stay in Bali because as I, as I get into in the episode a little bit, it's been a pretty good place for me to be during this coronavirus lockdown insanity. So if possible, I'd really like to stay. And I hope wherever you are in the world, you're staying safe, staying protected, staying clean, washing those hands and all that good stuff. And I hope you're surviving through this bizarre experience okay. In today's episode, I'm joined once again by one of my absolute favorite guests for this podcast. You've heard him before in episodes 17 and 29. His name is Dr. Robert Glover. He's the author of the immortal self-help classic, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Dr. Glover started out as a couple's counselor, but he's since become, but his work has evolved, so he works primarily with men today. But in today's episode, we get into men's problems in relationships, as well as women's problems in relationships. We cover a lot of ground in this one. We talk about the coronavirus. We talk about love under lockdown. Talk about choosing our neuroses over love, building better long-term relationships, surviving breakups, being a good ender in relationships, how to best pace our relationships, dealing with sexual polarity, drugs, psychedelics, God, and a whole lot more. I feel like every conversation with Dr. Glover becomes more interesting, at least for me. And yeah, I really hope you dig this episode. Before we get started, I'll remind you that I have a new book out. It was released last month. It's called The Breakup Recovery Workbook. It consists of eight weeks of journaling exercises, writing prompts, step-by-step program for surviving and eventually thriving through the end of a relationship. You can find The Breakup Recovery Workbook available now on Amazon, Apple iBooks, and most places online books are sold. I'll also remind you that if you're enjoying my podcast, a rating and review would really help me. I realize that a lot of you are listening, but far fewer are leaving ratings and reviews. So no matter which podcast app you're using to listen to this, please be sure to take two or three or maybe 20 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. Without any further ado, I present to you my latest conversation with Dr. Robert Glover. Okay, Dr. Robert Glover, welcome back to my podcast. And again, thank you for being continuing to be so generous with your time with me. Zachary, good to see you again. You're, you're up late and I'm up early, so to speak. <laughs> yes, I'm in Bali, as I've already established, and you just asked me how I was. And 
I've felt somewhat guilty during this very bizarre time that we're all living through because, knock on wood, Bali has has not had a really extreme time of things. Like the death rate has been relatively low, and to to date, I mean, most of the tourists have gone. Things are fairly mellow here. Um, you know that that could change at any time. But I've actually I've been thinking about you a lot because one of my best friends is in Mexico City, and we have calls a lot. And so I've been getting updates on the situation. I know you're not in Mexico City. You're in Puerto Vallarta, I believe. Yeah, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. But I was going to ask you. I mean, what what has this time been like for you? How have you been dealing with this very bizarre once in a lifetime kind of period? Well, um, the like you you put it, it hasn't been terrible for you. And, and Puerto Vallarta is also a tourist town, so it became a ghost town back in March uh, earlier this year. We're in 2020, of course, and um, so a lot of things closed down. So you know. Did quit eating out, so that meant you know lost a few pounds because we didn't eat out anymore. My wife uh, cooks a lot, and I tell people, okay, I, I have a, a nice home down in Puerto Vallarta where the weather's beautiful. They did close the beaches though; that was a bummer. Um, but you know, I've, I've got my office. I, I've, I've got a, a, a weight room in my house. I've got a swimming pool in my backyard. I can work remotely because that's what I do. So most people would call. Uh, my experience of the pandemic just a relaxed working vacation because um, I, I don't have to go out. But that's actually been the hard part for me. I've had to cancel four workshops, a men's program. I mean, has canceled workshops, and so um, and, and maybe the hardest part is you know just not being able to get out. But as I've been saying all along, in, in a lot of the world, at least in North America, especially the U.S., the whole response to the pandemic is kind of an, an elitist response. You know, the, the, the people who can work online or work from home, you know, are, are fine or that have the financial security that they don't need it. But like to tell people, your job is non-essential or, you know, you, you can't go to work. What do they do? You know, 90, 90 95 percent of the world can't just stay home. And I, I live in, I don't know if it's third world country, developing country. I don't know what the correct word for it is anymore. But I live in a country where, you know, over half the population lives below a poverty line and that and that poverty line isn't real high so you know there's a lot of poor people in this country and what do they do if you, if you can't work for three days and they 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 you know they work day to day to, to just you know subsist. so the hardest part for me has been watching people they can't just stay home like many of us and, and work from home and to watch people that you know, just don't have that blessing. So that, that's been the hardest part. And then my, my mother's 85. She had a stroke a year and a half ago. So I've made three, three trips, four trips up to Seattle just to check in on her since, since March. So I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to still do that. that. That would be hard if I couldn't check in to see if she was doing okay. But yeah, I'm fine. And uh, I don't know anybody that's been affected by COVID itself. Uh, I know a lot of people have been affected by the economic turndown related to COVID, but so so that's where I'm at. I'm I'm grateful that I've been able to be okay and concerned about the many that are not so okay. Do you think? I mean, it's we're still right in the thick of this, but you know, I've, I've been asking guests recently <clears throat> just because I think it's it's a worthwhile question. Is do you think you've learned anything through this experience, either about yourself or about the world or about your relationship? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a great question to be asking people. Um, and what I, what I think I've learned most about me, well, a couple things learned about me. Maybe one's just kind of more of a temperament uh, learning about me. And, and that is 
that even though I am somewhat of an emotional introvert and I, I, I like alone time to, to, to just recharge, I, I'm still also, you know, a, a social animal. I, I, I miss that ability to, to, to be out. To, for me, to get on an airplane is an adventure. And that, that's still kind of an elitist kind of thing as well, but I'm still like a little kid every time I get on an airplane. It's an adventure, you know. Interesting, different things are going to happen that don't happen when I'm in my house. Um, so that's been one part of it. And another part has been um, I've read more fiction. It's kind of like all the things that I think I need to be doing all the time, you know, work, 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 stay busy, stay busy. And, um, you know, I, I can sit in my back garden and meditate on the plants. I, I can read books that don't take me anywhere other than they're just, you know, let me just kind of relax into the story. Uh, so I've been reading fiction all the way from a series of, what's it called, young adult urban fantasy series, you know, with people that can shape shift and have magic to, you know, right now I'm reading Don Quixote. So, you know, all the way from classics to just, you know, e easy summertime reading. So I think just slowing down has, has been a very valuable part, slowing down, enjoying the moment and not thinking I've got to be doing all the time. So that's been good. I, I relate so much to what you just said. I mean, I, I'm a typical introvert as well, but I've learned through this experience that I'm not as much of an introvert <laughs> as I once thought I was. And the yeah. airport thing, I love airports. I always have. I'm one of those annoying people where I'll go to the airport three or four hours early just to hang out. I used to drive my ex-girlfriend crazy because <laughs> he's one of these people who always wanted to go at the last possible minute and I'd be wanting, yeah. be wanting to be there early just to hang out because you're right, it's exciting. And I, I miss yeah. that as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting on a plane again. Uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, I can go to the airport and just watch airplanes take off and land. I've, I've made two of the trips I've made up to Seattle in the last few months because I couldn't make direct flights and because of the minimum number of flights coming into Puerto Vallarta, I've spent four nights in a hotel at LAX airport in Los Angeles that's right between the two runways at LAX. And I, and I stayed there on purpose. Number one, it's close to the airport and I just wanted to get in, get out. But, you know, I, I'd, I'd open up all the drapes. I'd get a room with, you know, big, big views. And you can go up on the rooftop and just watch planes landing in both, both sides of you at LAX. And I'm like a kid. It's kind of like, how cool is that? Those things can stay in the air. Isn't that neat? Yeah. So, um, you know, I love that adventure. I always think of Louis C.K. had a great bit about how every moment that you're flying, you should just be constantly screaming like, I'm flying. I'm flying. It's such an amazing thing. And we take it for granted, you know. 200 it's years amazing. ago, the, you know, the wildest fantasy of, of uh, you know. I, I, I was thinking that watching these airplanes just kind of come in so smooth, so nice, lightly touch down, come to a stop. And I go, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> How do they do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the extent to which just personally I have taken travel and mobility for granted in my life mm -hmm. is just amazing because I've been really fortunate. I've had a very mobile life. I'm on and I'm taking a lot of flights in my life, and all of a sudden, when you can't do that, yeah, you just you don't know what you got till it's gone. To quote the immortal Joni Mitchell. So another question I have for you is, as I'm sure you're aware, a lot of couples have really been struggling through this period. You know, a lot of people are, where they're cooped up together in a house, and maybe some issues are boiling up to the surface, which have lain mm -hmm. dormant for years. And you can speak personally or not. Uh, I guess I'm just kind of curious about 
any advice you might offer to couples enduring this period of uncertainty and sometimes enforced <laughs> physical yeah. intimacy? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm a I'm a, a relationship therapist by training and experience. So, you know, I, I've had a PhD in marriage and family therapy for over 30 years. So m half of my career was working with couples and, and the, the, the last half's been working a lot with men, but mostly around relationship issues, all the way from how do you get into a relationship to how, how, how do you make the best of the relationship you're in. And so I've, I've, I've heard stresses from both sides of that coin you know the guys that aren't in a relationship and they're like stuck at home and you know dating during covid well it was non-existent really other than maybe just doing it online and i've known a lot of guys have gotten into online relationships that have their own set of problems that go with it but yeah the the, the couple you know in my personal experience it's brought up a certain amount of stresses, but mainly it goes back to that me being somewhat of an emotional introvert, um, that I just need some alone time to recharge. And my wife like understands that intellectually, but emotionally for her as a feminine creature is like, how come he doesn't want to be with me? How come he wants to be away from me? And she even understands it. She, she, she needs her alone time as well. And, and she and I've even before this have kind of worked out, I've, I've got my office that I'm sitting in right now. It's got, glass French doors on it. And um, if I'm like doing an interview, they're closed, of course. Or if the air conditioning's on, they're closed. And, um, and she, she's very respectful of that. She knows if I'm in here, I'm working. She knows if I go out back to sit in the garden and read. She, she knows that that is alone time as well. And she understands that my travel time has often been that alone time. Because I'll, I'll go do workshops and I probably take her with me traveling, maybe 60 or 70 percent of the time but about 40 percent of the time i'm alone she she gets that she gets it intellectually but like i said emotionally she'll still feel that well how come he's not with me how come he doesn't want to be with me so you know like all couples those are the the emotional pieces are the most challenging ones to work out and she has her own schedule she's kind of a gym rat she can't go to her exercise classes but she's working out right now and, and you know just the, the other side of the wall there and um, but she goes and runs all the errands and, and, you know, has some physical therapy she goes to and goes to the market to buy stuff. And um, and she loves being out in her office, which is the, the, the where the washer and dryer are. She loves washing clothes by hand. She's she's Mexican. She grew up poor. And, you know, she's washed clothes all her life. That's her therapy to kind of just be washing, you know, to slow her brain down. So she'll go. I'm, I'm going out to my office and I'm thinking, oh, she's going to go out there where it's hot and work. And I'm I kind of feel bad. But it's her therapy is how she gets away as well she and i are fortunate enough that um our relationship is is you know stable and supportive enough we can actually talk through it and we have a big enough house uh, the, it, it, we're fortunate that way but to, to get more to you know with other couples for example I'm, I'm, I'm leading a virtual workshop right now and one of the guys just posted a couple of days ago on, on our whatsapp thread that he and his wife are in a very small space and they're driving each other crazy and like all the guys there's about eight guys in this workshop 
piped in with things they have done. And, and very creative things, like some of the guys have, um, they and their partner worked out a me day. That each one of them, at least once, maybe twice a, a week, has that day is me day. And the other person kind of tries to stay out of their hair. Doesn't ask too many questions, doesn't demand of them, lets them have their space. And, the, and the, each one, you know, can do that. And when the one person said, and, and if, the, if you need a me day like now, today, they've, well, they've talked that out as well. You can take it today if you need to rather than like on Thursday. And so that me day, that each person may be having a space in the house that is kind of their little nook, their kind of private space. For me, um, a lot of it is sleeping. I found that out a long time ago. Uh, I, I, I lived with a woman. Well, I tried living with one woman two different times, and every time I lived with her, I broke up. And one of the problems was was I we had a queen-size bed and a small bedroom that had been her place before I moved in, was lined with her stuff, and um, I couldn't sleep. And she snored. And, and you know, I, I, I have to stretch out at night. So I, I, got, I got my own bed the second time I tried living with her. So f fortunately, my wife and I have a king-size bed, and we've always slept well together. But if I, if I can't have my, a good sleep space, that's so a lot of people need to pay attention to that. Pay attention to your sleep space because a lot of people recharge, I do, during sleep. So, you know, I, I think people need to create this, this alone time. And I've often said it's a powerful way to create what I call positive emotional tension to have healthy space from each other. Because I've always said it makes a lot more sense psychologically to be apart looking for ways to get together rather than together looking for ways to get apart. As soon as you start wanting to get apart from your partner, that builds so many tensions and you start seeing all these negative things in them. You start arguing about stuff that is inconsequential. And I, I discovered that uh, 20 plus years ago in my second marriage, we'd start arguing about little stuff that just seemed stupid. And when it started dawning on me, oh, I think we just both need some space away from each other. That helped. And I, I remember I, I dated one woman um, and I started noticing at times, I really like this woman, but I'd start noticing if I spent too much time with her, I started like picking apart little things like how this looked on her body or how she laughed that bothered me. And I thought, that wasn't bothering me an hour ago. Why am I so focused on that now? And I thought, ah, oh, it's time to have a little space. And so I was really conscious about creating space. And after she and I broke up, she actually thanked me. She said, thank you for the ways that you created space where we could come together and move apart. So now, nowadays, if you add kids into this, like if you got some small kids because they're out of school and you're in a small place, I mean, it gets crazy. I mean, I guess domestic violence rates have gone up. You know, it just it's, it's it is stressful. So the more ways that people can create their own little pockets of space and alone time, and have a coming together and moving apart, is is essential no matter what. But especially essential now when we can't get out. When maybe one person isn't going to work as they used to, um, or the kids are home from school in ways that they didn't used to be. So. That's, that's crucial, and, and I encourage couples to talk about that. And because I work with men, I always encourage men to set the tone and take the lead and, you know, sit down and say, "Hun, we, we need to have a talk. You know, we're, we've been driving each other crazy. Let's brainstorm ways that we can each have some space, can have, you know, some isolation, some solitude, some quiet time, and let's work that out together. And, and I think most couples will, will be happy to find, you know, whatever uh, short-term or long-term solutions they can.
I have a couple of responses. I mean, for one, I love the fact that you're highlighting practical solutions, easy to implement, relatively easy to implement solutions, because I don't know about you, but, you know, people who are more cerebral or introverted or whatever you want to call it, intellectually minded, you know, often we're tempted to grasp, at least I am, for these kind of lofty, high-minded solutions when sometimes it comes down to, we need a bigger bed. <laughs> yeah, very, we need a bigger bed. Solutions. Yeah, and you talk yeah. to other couples where they say, you know, separate bathrooms, get separate bathrooms. That'll save your yeah. relationship. Or at least, your, at least your own sink. You know, right. Separate sinks seem, seem crucial. Yeah, no, so I, I love the fact that you're highlighting those practical solutions because I think that's absolutely essential. Second thing I wanted to comment on is I love this phrase, positive emotional tension. And it's made me think about something I've been thinking a lot about lately where in the past when I've been gotten involved with a new woman, for example, and I've just been enormously drawn to her and all the hormones are raging and stuff, you know, I've tended to move things along in certain moments pretty quickly and spending yeah. all my time with her. And I mean, one time I moved in, I won't go too fast. <laughs> I'll just leave it at <laughs> Too fast. Too yeah. fast. Um, and, you know, because all, you know, the hormones are raging and you're having this incredible sexual connection and you just, you're addicted to this person. And in recent years, I've realized that sometimes creating that positive emotional tension, taking some literal space, some physical space from each other, drawing things out and kind of savoring the whole process a bit more, I think is so important. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, and it's, it's fun, you know, like missing someone is nice. It's a nice yeah. feeling, you know, it, it's, it's. You know, as you say, it's positive emotional tension. I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I teach a class called Positive Emotional Tension, and I'm, that's the book I'm working on right now. And it's my most popular class because it, it, it speaks to men, to a male brain in ways that we can understand what women need to feel attraction and sexual arousal. And, and for example, the male brain thinks, do everything you can to make the woman happy. That will make her attracted to you and, and want to have sex with you. And often the opposite is true, or spend as much time with her, you know, or spend as much time as she wants to, you know, to spend with you, and that will make her happy. Um, but one of the, I have a podcast on positive emotional tension, and I quote a lyric from a song by Pink. And, and she says, um, go away, let me miss you. When you come back, I want to kiss you. And says, no, you can't stay one more hour. No, you can't go take a shower at my house. Leave and then come back later. And most women are not gonna tell you that. Some will, but, but most women, you know, the, the, the feminine in us, you know, we all have a masculine feminine side. The feminineness wants to connect with love, wants to fuse, wants to be just as close as we can be to the source that, uh, that, that thing that's making us feel good. But that is also the quickest way to kill emotional tension is to fuse and to be together all the time. You know, I mentioned before that coming together and moving apart, I think is one of the healthiest things that can happen in a relationship. You know, we stress communication, we stress this, we stress that. But I, I actually think the moving, to, moving apart, coming together, moving apart, coming together, there's a nice flow to it is one of the most essential things because usually what happens is like you're talking about we like go like this and for people who can't see my hands we just you know come together we fuse and want to spend every moment until somebody has had enough and then a fight starts or something happens and boom it gets pushed away so this big blow up and we get pushed away now everybody can breathe but the one with the most anxious attachment in that situation wants to really pull it back together again because we're feeling anxious 
the best thing to do, I tell guys, especially in that kind of context, when, when there's a little bit of a partner, maybe the woman isn't responding text or doesn't want to see them right now, instead of leaning in out of anxiety, just lean back a little bit. Don't, don't run away. You know, don't slam the door. Just lean back. Take a breath. Go, go fill your own bucket. Go, go spend time with your guy friends. Go, go dive into your passions. Go do something you've been putting off. Go to the gym and lift some weights. Do something to lean back. That all puts us more in what I'll, I call our masculine side. And, that, that, and then, the, then you, you, go, you recreate the polarity that originally attracted. When we're spending all that time together in a fused state, it kills polarity. But when there's that separateness, and, and one can be more in their feminine pole, one more in their masculine pole, it's very attractive, and it pulls you back together. So, yeah, that, that going slow and, and not spending too much time together. Like with my wife, we've been married three and a half years, and um, for the first year I knew her, we only saw each other w once a week. We got together on Saturday night. She was a single mom, working mom, and so, you know, saw her once a week. And then as we got to know each other better, we started seeing each other more regularly. But then when, when I bought a house and I moved her and the kids in, as I said, it's a big house, so there's plenty of space. Um, I mean, once people move in together, that requires a whole new level of consciousness of how do we create that differentiated healthy space and have that coming together and moving apart that maintains a nice positive emotional tension without us just wanting to be the hell away from that person all the time. But that'll happen. If, if we're not careful and if we're not conscious. Absolutely. So, well, on that note, actually, that's a nice segue into what I want to talk about next. So I, I think I mentioned in my email to you that I have a new book and online course coming out about breakups. And as breakups. I was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And as I was putting this together, I was thinking about you and some of our conversations in the past. And in particular, this phrase that you speak repeatedly and that you've written repeatedly, um, being a good ender. Man yeah. has to learn how to be a good ender. And so I, I was thinking about this a lot. And at the same time, another friend of mine who is a men's coach, um, very, you know, very experienced. He has a lot of experience mm -hmm. in this area. Very smart guy. He's also said something to me that I've thought a lot about where he says that in his experience, in his view, many men actually bail too early from the relationship. I think if they just stick at it a, a while longer, if they work yeah. on the issues, um, they are more likely to, you know, they can turn things around. This is not a lost cause. All right. And, you know, I realize that this is, it's probably impossible to offer a general answer to this question. So if you want, you can speak. I, I actually do have a general answer. Oh, okay. Well, let, let's hear it then. I mean, being, being, <laughs> I, 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 I will put this caveat out there. I'm a terrible ender. I stay way too long. Um, <laughs> okay. I've often made the reference that, uh, I was married my first two marriages. I was married 25 years to two women that I should not have dated either one more than two or three dates. Right? Have they heard because, you say this? I've heard you say this before. Have they heard you say this? <laughs> I, I doubt that any of either of them listened to anything that I say. Uh, I'm sorry, they didn't. Ba they didn't back then. So, no, um, no. But I, I, I think they would both acknowledge the same. Mm. Um, um, after, um, after I divorced my first wife, she, she even said, "You know, if you'd broken up with me back when we were dating, you know, that that would have been okay." Which mm. was her kind of way of saying we probably weren't a great match. And, um, but anyway, without going into a lot of background or context, we, we, we weren't, she's a good person, but we, we, we were not a good match. Um, 
and but I'm the eternal optimist. You know, I'll, I'll see something good in something, whether it's a car that could be a fixer-upper or a house that can be fixed up and made nice. And I even say in, in No More Mr. Nice Guy, that's not a good idea to do that in a relationship, to have this, you know, this fixer-up mentality. Um, but I'm, I'm also a giver. I mean, it makes me feel good to do things for people, and that can be codependent or it can be caring. And, you know, for someone like me, it's a slippery slope is my giving and, and helping, is, is that because I get a sense of value from it and expect appreciation and expect steady progress of improvement from the person? Um, or is it just I'm, I, I'm open-hearted and generous? I mean, they're, they're two different things. Um, so I have to be careful of that one. But my, my tendency is when I'm in a relationship, I see the good traits in a person and I think I love these traits about this person. But I also tend to tolerate some pretty negative traits. That's been my history. And rather than clearly early on setting boundaries, saying, no, if you want to hang out with me, you can't do it that way. You know, you can't snap at me or you can't yell at me or you can't accuse me of things or you can't disappear and not contact me for two weeks, you know, with no, no real reason other than I got scared. You know, um, you can't, you know, if you're gonna hang out with me, that's not acceptable. And times that I did set really clear early boundaries, in relationship, the women always responded really well to them and, and actually welcomed them because they said, no man's ever just been that clear with me that that isn't acceptable behavior because we all behave badly. We all do. And, and we need incentive and direction a lot of times to behave better. And that, that, that speaks to the second part of your question about maybe leaving too soon. But I, I, I did kind of, a, um, kind of a, a heartfelt analysis as part of a men's program I'm in about two years ago about all my past relationships of, of where did I fail to lead those relationships? Where, where could I have given more in a healthy way and accepted more of what the woman wanted to give me? And, and the, the awareness I came to in every one of my long-term relationships that did not work out, in every single one of them, I tolerated unacceptable behaviors early on. And I could look back and see when those behaviors first manifested. And if I'd either set a boundary, a clear loving boundary that invited the other person into a higher consciousness and said, that doesn't work for me. If you want to hang out with me, you have to do that differently. And given them the chance, if, if need be, and even said, if you do that again, we're done, right? To be that clear, to be in relationship with me, you can't, you know, I've already gave a few examples of things you can't do. But what I always did is I tried to talk them through it or talk them down or get them back to good because, you know, I, I like the good things about them. So I think being a good ender begins with having clarity about what is not acceptable to you and having clear conversations about that when those behaviors show up. Now the problem is, the other thing I realized about my, my relationship history, I'm, I'm in my 60s, so I've had a few relationships, is the other thing that I realized is every new relationship I got into, every new woman I got with, I discovered, I found something that I did not know I did not want in a relationship. You know, if you've been like with a woman that say for example is on Facebook all the time and has 10,000 guys as friends, all of whom are hitting on her. Well, you know, until you experience that, you might not know you don't want that. I've actually never had that one, but I've heard it, that a lot. So you don't know you don't want that to experience it. Or let's say the next woman you get with, you know, won't tell you what's bothering her. She just clams up and withdraws. 
Well, you don't know you don't want that until you come into it. And maybe the next woman you get with, you know, that you, that you enjoyed having a glass of wine every time you went out on, you know, as you're getting to know her, come to find out, likes to drink two bottles of wine a day. Well, maybe you didn't know you didn't want that until you discover it. So that's one of the beauties of relationship is, is that they're, they're, I call them personal, powerful personal growth machines. So you're never going to be able to anticipate everything that a new relationship might bring. But as men, I believe we need to be conscious. And I tell guys, go as slowly as possible to find out as quickly as possible what a woman's nature is and how that fits into your life, right? I would tell women the same thing, but mainly I work with men nowadays. So we need to be constant. And I, and I think it takes maybe up to three years to really know another person's nature, the depth of who they are. And that's three years of conscious dating, right? Almost every relationship I've been in, around that three-year mark, two and a half years to three years, something came up that, well, I didn't see that coming. You know, and I knew them for, for a few years. So I said, go slowly as possible to find out as quickly as possible what their nature is and how that fits into your life. So I tell guys, the purpose of dating is not to get a woman to like you, not to get a woman to have sex with you, not a woman to get a woman to keep dating you once you've started. The purpose of dating for at least two to three years is to keep asking, what is her nature? How does it fit into my life? And if you see something about her nature that concerns you, address it early on, right? So whether you're a good ender or a bad ender, addressing these things early on and being clear about, you know, how that works for you or doesn't work for you is important. So going back to should we end sooner, my general answer is if you have a tendency to bail, like, it, you know, if you can't stay with a woman for more than three weeks or three months because you always start finding faults in them and flaws and start seeing other women that look like, well, you know, I, I could get with her. She, she's, she's, you know, sexier or she's younger or she's prettier or she's more athletic. If that is your tendency, yes, you're probably one of those guys who needs to stay longer and work through those initial finding flaws and picking them apart. If you're one of those guys like me, that's the eternal optimist and, you know, sees the good uh, and tries to work through all the bad rather than setting clear, clear boundaries, that guy probably needs to leave sooner rather than later, but at least learn to set clear boundaries. Now, whether you're the guy that goes too soon or stays too long, that, those, that boundary part is so essential. And the boundary part is just, like I said, whatever we can do to raise the other person to a higher consciousness. And sometimes people will respond well to that. Sometimes, I, I've come to the conclusion that given enough time, most people will choose their neuroses over love. Most people do not want to give up their neuroses. And that's, that's what I've found in, in all of my relationships, that at some point we reached a stage where the woman had dug her heels in and just said, nope, I ain't growing anymore. The, you know, I, 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 I like my neuroses. They don't quite say it that way, but that's, that's what they do. And I've been a marriage therapist for over 30 years. Most people will hold on to their ego-based neuroses over love. And um, that's kind of scary if you think about it, but it does seem to be human nature. We're so attached to our ego, our sense of self, who we are, including all of our protections and the way we manage the world. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going a lot deeper into the whole being a good ender thing than what, what you're looking for. But <clears throat> really, if we can be conscious observers 
And the other part I'll add, um, uh, one of my certified coaches, a, a good buddy of mine, wrote a, a blog, article, blog article about creating a relationship posse. And, and I'm a big believer in this. Anytime you get into relationship, one of the best ways I know to, to keep testing what's a woman's nature, how she fits in your life, is have a group of people who know you well. I often say to guys that, that maybe dive way too deep into relationship or don't do it well, have your posse tie a rope around your waist, basically, metaphorically. You dive in and they're holding the rope on the other side. So you don't just get pulled into your, your, your old uh, habitual behaviors. So start taking a woman around your friends, around your family. Go around her friends and family. Start seeing how she is in many different contexts and have people who know you well give you feedback is it are like in my case am i now being attracted to a fixer-upper uh I'm, I'm i'm amazingly attracted to unhappily married women my first love object in my life was an unhappily married woman and my job as a child was to fix my mother and make her happy and be the good man i still fall into that pattern i need people who know me well who can watch that and say robert ah, you're on a slippery slope there and because most of us can't see that stuff on our own. So all of those things can help us be better decision makers about do we need to get in deeper or is it time to get out? And so maybe that came close to answering part of that question, good end or bad ender. No, you're answering many of my questions without me even having to ask them. So <laughs> this, is, this is tremendous. And I was, I was smiling and it, I don't know why, but just the way you said that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. People choosing their neuroses over love. There's something very powerful and succinct and tragic about that statement. I mean, I, I'm sure it's right, but it's, yeah, it's just a, I've never heard it put quite, quite that way. You know? Zachary, you, you're the first person to ever hear me say that, by the way. Mm. That, that's, a, that's, that's something I've kind of been chewing on for a little while. And I was actually having some of my quiet time yesterday, sitting out in the garden. And um, I've been doing some reading. I've actually been reading quite a bit about psychedelics recently. And, and how they can begin to dissolve the ego and take us off our narrow focus of self. And tends, but once we get off our narrow focus of self, ego or whatever you want to call it, and all of a sudden it's like this filter comes off and we see our connectedness to the greater whole. And I mean, that's really intriguing to me. There's other ways of doing that besides psychedelics. Some uh, meditation can do it, fasting can do it, um, spending time in solitude and nature can do it. Um, and, and all in various ways. And I've been playing with, I've been just kind of, you know, with this idea, because, you know, I've lived long enough to have enough relationships to, and I've bumbled my way through all of them. Um, and in coming to that realization, I was just sitting in my backyard yesterday thinking, you know, most people will choose their neuroses because their neurosis is their identity. It's tied to the I of this mind body that we exist in this physical existence. And if we, the more narrowly focused we get, that's, that's where addictions come in. Uh, an addiction is a narrowing of focus. Depression is a narrowing of focus. Anxiety is a narrowing of focus. Um, and neuroses all are a narrowing of focus down to I right i am the center of my universe and we all we all do that all in this physical human form um we all do that and one of the things i i, I do in my workshops with men is i talk with them that all of us based on our earliest life experiences and our earliest relationships with mom and dad primarily um develop what i call a number one relationship fear 
and I'll go around the room with guys and say, what is your number one relationship fear? What do you most fear about getting into a relationship? And, you know, it can include, oh, I might get smothered, I might get trapped, I, I, I might get left, I might get cheated on, I might get abused, I might, I might be found out that, you know, I'm not lovable. I might, you know, and, and you know, even come 10, 12, 15 different fears, and many of us have more than one, but we usually have one primary relationship fear. And to manage that, we also have one primary relationship fear defense mechanism. So if, you, if you're afraid of being smothered in a relationship, you're going to have defense mechanisms that protect you from being smothered. Those are probably the guys that leave too soon, or the, or the women that leave too soon. Uh, if you're afraid of being found out, you're going to have one that also keeps people at a distance. If you're afraid of being abandoned or cheated on, you, your defense mechanism might be do everything you can to make sure that person's always happy and that they never you know, want to leave you or be with somebody else. That's still a, a, a defense mechanism to protect you against your deepest fear. But both of those things, our, our number one relationship fear and our number one relationship defense mechanism, are both part of our personal neuroses. Right? And without that, for most of us, who would we be? If we strip away our, our neuroses, who are we? That's like, you know, standing naked with amnesia in front of the world. And that scares most of us. That scares most of majority of, of, of all of us. So we tend to hang on to that sense of I, even if that's painful. Even if that means we have a ruminating brain, even if that means, you know, we live in anxiety, even if that means we live in depression or we live in, in our addictions, because it's what we know. It's the familiar neighborhood that we've lived in our entire lives. So getting into relationship is really a powerful way to confront those two things. What is my number one relationship fear? What's my number one relationship uh, defense mechanism? Again, that's why if we do it consciously, relationships are powerful personal growth machines. I don't believe any um, exclusive, monogamous, long, I don't think they're, they're actually built to, to go you know, a lifetime. They, they, they never have, they never did, and it's not in our DNA. But if we choose to get in with one person and go deep with them, it has the potential to help us dig down into that personal neuroses. And so we, get to, we, we daily get to ask ourselves, do I want to hang on to my neuroses and try to manage this person in the relationship to manage my neuroses? Or am I willing to let my neuroses come up, be seen in full view, and possibly even begin letting go of it and just broadening that sense of self rather than narrowing our sense of self. And in relationship, you know, if, if we practice empathy, if we practice compassion, if we practice forgiveness, if we pr practice loving when we don't feel loved, those are all things that broaden who we are rather than constricting and narrowing our sense of self. That's really beautifully put. Yeah. And, and again, you're the first person to hear me say that, and your pe people listening, they're, they're the first people that get to hear it. Well, I know you've got your 10 books in 10 years plan. I feel like there's a book there. It's not quite as oh, catchy as No More Mr. Nice Guy, but No More, what is it? Choosing Your Neuroses Over Love? There's, there's something. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that. What would a book title for that be when I was yesterday out in my garden thinking? And, and I, I think it'd either be Neuroses Over Love. I mean, that's going to get your attention. Another idea, because it ties into something I've been thinking about, is also be, be Man's Return to Freedom. Um, I, I've been reading on and off a book, um, oh, author's name slipped my mind, but called Escape from Freedom, Eric Fromm. 
uh, he was a psychiatrist in the 40s, and he wrote about wh how, why people were sucked into fascism and Nazism. And he talks about we've been in a progression since the Big Bang, really, of being further and further disconnected from the whole. And again, it's part of that narrowing process, whereas we become more and more individuated, but more and more isolated in self. And uh, so I was thinking, yeah, our return to freedom is choosing to become, to broaden our sense of self and reconnect with the whole, uh, with all that is, rather than us living within this tiny little capsule that is I. And um, the, the example I've been playing with, you know, every, every outer space movie we've ever seen that's ever been made has some scene in it where the person has to leave the space capsule, right? Part of a planned walk, part of to repair something. And as soon as the person leaves that space capsule, there's, there's the existential anxiety that all humans feel of being un untethered, disconnected from something that feels solid. Now, the irony is the space capsule is just a tin can in space still. And then, you know, like either Howl's closed the, the bay doors and won't let, you know, the guy back in or the, the meteorites come and the cord gets torn. The guy's twirling in space. That's our existential fear is that we're not tethered to something anymore. We give our freedom away. We lock it down. You know, we give our freedom to our drugs or to a person to lock us down or to food or to television or to porn. We lock ourselves down and tighter into that eye rather than being willing because being untethered means means we're just out there in the cosmos with nothing to tie us down. And that's the existential human fear. And, and anyway, that's, all of that's tied into this mess I'm trying to pull together uh, to explain why, why we do what we do. I love it. I love how far out we're getting. This is great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, really, that's, that's sincerely. I mean, so a couple things I'll, I'll, I'll say. One, I mean, I know you're familiar with, I know you work with John Wineland and I know you're familiar with David Data and stuff. So I'm yeah, yeah. familiar with a lot of these ideas. But one thing I really love about Tantra and a question that Tantra asks you is in any given moment, you can ask yourself what action or gesture or whatever would best serve love, kind of with a capital L, not even yeah. you know, serving Zach or serving Zach's girlfriend or even serving Zach's friends or my, it's, what is serving love, universal love kind of as a whole? Yeah. And again, maybe you need to, some people need to be on drugs to, to get into this mindset, but it's not that difficult. The more you just keep playing with this question, you know, would, what would best serve love in this moment? And I think that helps to strip away some of the selfishness. The second thing I'll say is uh, you mentioned the universe and all the rest. I think, you know, you might know that jealousy is a big interest of mine and i think a way one of the ways that i really started to really let go of my jealousy in a very deep level was meditating on the big bang <laughs> now just bear with me for a moment but meditating, no, i'm smiling yeah meditating on the the origin of the universe and how we can all trace ourselves back you know we are stardust yes. we are golden <laughs> we can all trace ourselves back to this one original moment what the hell do i have to be jealous about that person i'm yeah. jealous of that's me you know in a very real sense you know I hope yes. we lost all my listeners here. <laughs> no, I love this because you are you are actually illustrating what I what I'm talking about. Jealousy is a narrowing of focus. Yes. It's all about me. I'm going to lose this thing that that feels like it is distant from me, and I need it to feel whole or complete. It's, it's ego. When you when you meditated on on the Big Bang, all of a sudden you expanded your sense of awareness into that you are part 
part and part of the whole. You are both the creator and the created. There is no separateness in all of that. And, you know, most religions have been teaching. I mean, Buddha's been teaching that, you know, for, what, 4,000 years. Jesus came along, and they nailed him to a cross because he said, I am the creator and the created, and so are you. And they said, that's blasphemy. God and man has to be completely separate. There's no, there's no connection between them. Um, but what if God is all? And we are part of all that is all. Now our ego is not God, but what if all other than ego is is one? And I had a similar experience. You mentioned John Wineland. I, I've been working with him as my coach for three plus years, and, and coming up on just about three years ago, I, I was really sick. And I may have talked about this with you before, but um, for about three months, I couldn't. I went to doctors here in Mexico, in the United States. Nobody could find the problem. I lost about 30 pounds. I had constant stomach pain, cramps. I could not eat, could not shit. Um, just, I was miserable. And finally, um, a doctor down here in Mexico ran the right test and found out I had a tumor blocking my small intestine. And he said, we need to do surgery right now. I talked to him into giving me 24 hours to kind of get everything in order. But I've been working with John around a lot of, uh, you know, embodiment, open-heartedness, you know, some meditation and practice. And, and when I went into surgery, I, I was meditating on my connectedness with the cosmos. I was doing somersaults through the cosmos while being led into surgery in a, in a Mexican hospital with a Mexican doctor. And I was at, as at peace as I can ever remember being in my lifetime. Now, the, the Valium IV might have been helping that as well. But, you know, I, I was communing with the cosmos, with, and I, with that, when, you, when we connect with all that is, it broadens that narrowing of the ego. It, 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 it destroys the ego in many ways. It dissolves it. And the more we can dissolve our ego, the, the, the less that of the negative effects of that narrowing, whether it's jealousy, whether it's addictions, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, whether it's obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, and I, I even read that, you know, there's, there's even scientific evidence around this. They, they did some um, fMRI scans of, of Buddhist monks who like sit around all day and meditate on compassion. And by meditating on compassion, and they did these fMRIs, that the part of the brain associated with a sense of well-being is physically larger than in the average person. And, and there's lots of evidence that, you know, the parts of the brain that get the, the most blood, you know, tend, tend to have the, the they grow, they, they wire, and they physically reproduce cells. So... You know, if you even look at, you know, even when Jesus came, I think a lot of people misinterpret most of his message. And for those of people who don't know, I grew up in a fundamental church. I have two degrees in religion. I was a minister for eight years. I'm not religious now. But I, I think Jesus was trying to teach people, get out of this small ego self that, that narrow religion teaches you, that if you check off all the boxes and do everything right, then you're acceptable to God. He was saying, you know, have forgiveness. He said, you know, if your enemy strikes you, let him turn the other cheek to him. You know, if, a, if somebody says, carry my stuff for a mile, go another mile and carry their stuff. He talked about compassion. They brought a woman caught in adultery to her. And he shifted that entire system away from the shame-based, we need to stone her. That's what the law says. And he said, all right, the one person who has no sin, you get to throw the first stone. And they all dropped their rocks and walked away. Right? And he said to the woman, he said, where have your accusers gone? And he said, I have none. He says, neither do I accuse you.
He shifted this idea away from this narrow down to more of compassion, forgiveness. He talked about, you know, look, look at the, the, the plants of the field and the birds of the air. They don't worry. Worry is ego. It's, it's I-ness. It's a narrowing. And, and that's what I love doing. I love sitting out in my backyard in my garden or floating in the pool. I got a, my neighbor has a giant tree filled with birds and I love watching the birds they don't worry they go sit in the tree and look at the view of the ocean they come down they, there's, there's one family of birds that take baths in my swimming pool uh, I've rescued two of their babies that didn't, didn't quite make it out um, and these birds they don't give a fuck they don't worry about it they, they just they just go with the universe, they're doing what they do. I think we humans are, are maybe one of the only species, our consciousness is a blessing and a curse, but the more we narrow it down to self, that's the curse. The opening it up is the blessing. So your example of meditating on Big Bang makes perfect sense. There are Buddhist monks to prove that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm just gonna go for this question because we're in this territory now anyway. <laughs> I mean, I know you have this background in religious study and you mentioned that you're not religious anymore. I've actually, I've wanted to ask you this before. I mean, what does God mean to you today? And what kind of, I mean, what, what do you think's going on, Dr. Glover? <laughs> What's going on? What does it all mean? <laughs> I, I, do, I do not know, but I guess maybe that's, that's our human journey. And one of the things I've noticed as I get older, when I try to think about things, why is it this way? What's happening here? What's going on in my body? Why is that person acting that way? I don't know is my standard answer to most things. The older I get, the more I don't, I just know I don't know. Um, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I'm not religious. I, you know, I grew up in, I said, a very fundamental church with kind of rigid ideas about God. Is this this angry paternal character that's out there just waiting to cast you into eternal hell. Um, that, that's a gross misinterpretation of, of any religious writings. Um, if somebody comes to me and says, I know God, I know what God is, I know what God wants, I'm thinking, if your small human ego-based brain thinks you know God, I don't want that God. I want a God that's bigger than what my brain can conceptualize of. And, um, and I'm, I'm really comfortable with that. And so I, I avoid using the word God for a long time just because it has so much. Everybody's got their own version of what that word means, for good or for bad. Um, but I've kind of settled back into, okay, it seems to be kind of a universal word that, that we use for that higher power, that great, that thing greater than us. And um, so I, I guess I've come down to, you know, God is, is just creative energy, creative intelligence that, um, that, as I said, we are both the created and the creator, uh, to where I can look at a beautiful mountain and think, ah, oh, I did good. And not the ego Robert that made that mountain, but the part of me that is part of what is eternal. Um, it is, that eternal is never changing. It changes forms. Buddha would say it manifests and unmanifests, but it, it is all eternal. Um, so that's, that's just, I don't know if I even gave you a good, a clear answer, but it is, it is just that thing that is all and always has been. In the, in the Old Testament, it just says, I am. Some, one of the prophets said, who should I tell the people sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. Hmm. Um, so I, 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 I like that one, that God is I am. That kind of, for me, pulls together all that is, is God. God manifests in everything. 
including us. And uh, when our ego can, can open up enough, or maybe when we just can low, when we can, you know, dissolve enough of our ego to see we are, we are part of all that is. You are, I am part of that big bang. Every bit of energy that has ever existed still exists. We are energy. And so, you know, that's, I don't, beyond that, I don't know. You know, I, when I visit my mother, I go to her fundamental Christian church. My wife's Catholic, so I go to Catholic church with her. And I mainly just meditate and think of things for which I feel grateful uh, while, while I'm in church. And, you know, maybe if we spend a lifetime meditating and feeling grateful, we'd get a sense of that connectedness to, to all that is. Yeah, again, that's just absolutely beautifully put. I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this question quite a bit lately, and it's interesting you keep talking about what you don't know and all the things you don't know, because to me, my God lately is I don't know. I've been on uh -huh. a real... Um, so I, <laughs> I, I love it. You know Van, Van Morrison, singer-songwriter? I love Van Morrison. I, actually, um, I love his music. I've seen him live, put on one of the worst concerts I've ever seen, and I'm told he's an amazing asshole. Um, yes. Every, I've, I've heard that more than once. He's just a, a, the world's biggest asshole. So I'm, I'm an enormous, But I love his music. <laughs> I'm, I'm an enormous Van Morrison fan. I had a different experience at his concert. I also saw him live. He is possibly the grumpiest man in popular music, such a grump. But my goodness, I've been on a kick lately where, um, I mean, he's a real seeker and that is a strain throughout his music. Mm. I've been uh, really investigating his music in the 1980s recently, which I had never really done before, his 80s output. And I'm telling you, there's such a beautiful reaching in these records of spiritual mm. yearning and grasping for the unknown. And it's really, really beautiful. It's very inspiring. And so for me lately, I think my God is, is exactly what you said, the I don't know. I like I don't know. You know, I really like that. I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Like, I'm quite Yeah, I, I, I don't want my punny human brain to grasp it all. I, I'd, I'd be happy for my human brain to be more open to all that is. And, and maybe, that's, maybe that's, all, that's all the place we need to get to, is just being open to all that is and open to mystery and not knowing. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful place to be. I don't know. I, I'm enjoying that place. I, I kind of like it. It, 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 it. it takes a lot of pressure off a lot of things. Just, why did my wife just do that? I don't know. Why is my body feeling this way? I don't know. Why am I tired when I wake up in the morning? I don't know. Why, why are people responding to COVID the way they are? I don't know. You know what's the best answer to COVID? I really don't know. Um, it's, just, it's liberating to, to, to just not know and that be okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dr. Glover, I could talk to you all day. And uh, again, just it's a real pleasure. And again, I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and making time for me. What is the best way people can connect with you online? Uh, best way is just go to my website, drglover.com. That's just D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R.com. Uh, if they Google Robert Glover, if they Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I've got all the top spots. I even beat out Alice Cooper for No More Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, wow, that's impressive. So, yeah. That's impressive. I'm, I, it impressed me the first time I saw that. Uh, I thought, okay, that's a milestone. So yeah, drglover.com or Google me and yeah, come, come, come check out what I'm up to lately. Great, well, Dr. Glover, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. This was fun, just a nice journey together. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Humans in Love. If you'd like to learn more about my guests, my work, or you'd like to listen to back episodes of the podcast, please visit humansinlove.com. If you haven't already, 
be sure to subscribe to Humans in Love using your podcast app of choice. If you're a fan of Humans in Love and you'd like to help keep the show going and help me spread the word, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. Before I let you go, remember that life is short, so let's make it count. And thank you, as always, for your listenership and support. I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you.